0: This morning, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. And basically, we're going to see Paul remind us that suffering is universal, right? Suffering is a universal reality in the world that we live. Yet in these texts, in these verses today, uh, Paul explains why Christians can suffer with hope. Let's hear God's word this morning.
1: Listen and be encouraged by the sermon text this morning, taken from Romans 8, verses 18-25. through For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope now hope that is seen is not hope, but for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Almighty God, it is so good that you have gathered us here as your children to worship you in spirit and in truth. Refresh our spirits this morning and renew the longing in our hearts as we along with all of your creation await the return of Christ our King. We all struggle in this life with sickness and health issues, with disappointing jobs and financial worries, with broken relationships and loss of loved ones. But our hope is not in this world, in this life. Our certain hope is in your promise that we are now your children and will be freed from corruption and raised in glory to be with Christ forever when he returns. Help us, Lord, to not grow weary in this life, but to remember our overarching goal is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the commitment our Pastor Greg has made to preach only from your word, untainted by worldly influences. I ask that the Holy Spirit will open our ears and our hearts and fill, fill us with eager anticipation for the great things you have in store for those who place their trust in you. I ask all these things through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I love you. I love you. A little, a little love. That's good. To, today we have to understand, right, that suffering is real, right? And, and why is there pain? That's the age-old question. Why is there suffering in the world at all? If there's a loving God, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why do people get cancer and die, right? Why do countries go to war? Why are there mosquitoes that give people malaria? Why are there deadly viruses and germs that cause us to get sick and die? Why is there so much hate and violence in the world. Why is my mother-in-law coming to stay for three weeks? I mean, there's a, the list could go on, of course. Yeah, I'm in trouble. Yes, but, but, but the fact is, folks, we know that suffering is universal, but then there's a question that arises in the church, connected to suffering, but a little bit different, and that question is, is it God's will for Christians to suffer? Now, we know that the world's going to suffer, but what about Christians? Is it God's will for Christians to suffer? And there are basically two views on this in Christianity. One view would say, no, it is not God's will that Christians suffer. It's never God's will for a Christian to be sick or to be poor or, or, or to hurt. Um, that's one view. Then there's the other view, of course, that would say, oh, it is sometimes God's will for Christians to suffer. To be sick to be poor yes obviously to die uh, but what's the answer or the clearest answer to this question is found in Philippians chapter 129 here it is for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake so God's word is the final place right that we find our answers in the Bible's pretty explicit there is it? it addresses Christians that it's been given to us by God it's been ordained it's been granted to us not only to believe on Christ but all those who believe on Christ will also suffer for his sake Jesus addressed this in John sixteen thirty three, in this well-known passage he says I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation or suffering But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, that does not mean, therefore, obviously, that Christians won't suffer in the world. He's saying you will suffer in this world. But the way you suffer is one who takes heart because I've overcome the world. So basically, in our text today, Paul expounds this point that Jesus made. That's what Paul is doing here in Romans. He's broadening the idea of what Jesus says about how do we suffer in a world as Christians, and yet we suffer with hope. Now, again, because we live in, in a sin-cursed world, all people will suffer. We know that. But but, but Christians suffer with hope. That's the point Paul is making. We're separate, we're, we suffer with hope in the future. We've sang a lot of songs this morning that point us to the future that God has prepared for us. And again, that is the catalyst for our suffering with hope. We're hoping. We're trusting. Confident expectation. I can suffer now. Because of what I know lies ahead. What I know is to come in the future. Now, after I say that, the skeptic says, Yes. And that's all just pie in the sky when you die. Right? That's what the skeptics say. That's all just pie in the sky when you die. To which we must answer, Yes, you're right. And you're gonna die. You're gonna die. The question is, do you want some pie with that? <laughs> That's really the question, right? I mean, now we can't force people to believe God's word. We can't force people to believe Christ died, and was buried, and rose again. We can't force that. But we can ask them the question: would you like some pie with that? We're all dying. It's appointed unto man wants to die. But there is pie in the sky folks why are we ashamed of that why do we back down when they say that well okay i'm sorry no jesus says there's pie in the sky there's a marriage supper of the lamb there is joy eternal for my people there's a new heaven and a new earth coming god said that we don't have to back down from that that's been the hope that kept christians suffering well for centuries nothing in this life gives us that kind of hope it's the hope in a life to come that the Holy Spirit births within our hearts. That's what Paul's talking about. So again, folks, if Christianity, we're just man made and human. Everybody be doing it. But it's supernatural and from another world it's God transforming sinners and rebels to become his sons and daughters and give them new life. It's supernatural, folks. And we're here, and as I was reminded as we sang, it's glorious to see as we sing these truths that faith Pouring out in this building, right? The the faith of each other, building each other up. That again is why we gather, to remind ourselves of these truths. Now, again, um, the existentialists, materialists, they're going to believe that when you die, that's it. Your body decomposes, you cease to exist, that's it. Stephen Hawkins, one of the most gifted physicists, and he was an atheist, died in 2018 close to his death, here's what he said. I regard the, the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken-down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. So, of course, we're going to have that. People are going to believe that. That's, that's human nature. As, a matter. as a matter of fact, what, what, what Hawkins said there is the default setting for all human beings. That is what the natural man would believe. But, and Paul agrees with this, by the way, this, this notion. Hawkins is right. If that's true, if we're just computers <laughs> and we're going to break down one day, if that's all we are, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, therefore we should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's, that's the existentialist's future. That's it. We live now because there's nothing. There's no real reason that we're here now, and there is no reason hereafter. Very uplifting ideology. And yet, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ has risen. You see, we as Christians believe that we are not just computers that are going to break down and dissolve into nothing. We believe that God created us in his image for the purpose of glorifying him. We understand that we've sinned, but we also understand that God sent his son into this world to reconcile and redeem us he lived he died he was buried and he has risen again to save all those who will believe therefore the believer remains steadfast in our suffering because if christ rose again from the dead then we will too that is what paul is going to be talking about today. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let me just read what he says there then in in Corinthians after he mentions the resurrection and he answers the skeptics who say, yep, if if this is all you got, then you better eat, drink, and be merry, and then you're going to die, and that's it. But we believe Christ has risen from the dead, and therefore, verse 58 says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, Knowing that in the Lord, your labor, your suffering is not in vain. You see this? This is where we get our hope to continue on, folks. It's the word of God. Not our feelings, not somebody else's stories of sentimentality. No, it is the word of God. So let's notice suffering. How that it's always been a part of being a follower of Christ. It's not something strange. It is exactly what God has planned. And and, and it's going to happen. And it's so plain in Scripture if we would just read God's Word. Romans 8, Now we're going to go back to last week's two verses that we ended with in order to intro into today. But look at verses 16 and 17, what Paul ended with last week. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. By the way, let me just say, that's the only way, as I mentioned, that any human being who is dead to God in their natural state will ever want to seek God and believe. It's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, changing us, transforming us by the, by the gospel. But what point goes on. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The idea here, again, is not a, 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 a conditional thing. Like if, if you suffer good, then you'll be with him. No, it's basically, indeed, since you will suffer with him, And also be glorified with him. Jesus said that. If you follow me, you will suffer like me. They hated me, they'll hate you. That's just always been. And that's what Paul was saying last week. So suffering and glory are connected. That's what he said, right? Suffer with Christ, but enjoy the glory of Christ. We suffer with Christ, and we will enjoy the glory with Christ. They are inextricably connected. Suffering and glory. For the Christian. For the Christian suffering is inextricably connected to glory john Stott put it this way suffering and glory are married they cannot be divorced they are welded they cannot be broken apart second corinthians 1 5 shows us this for as we share abundantly in christ's sufferings so through christ we share abundantly in comfort also so there's suffering but there's glory 1 Peter 5.10, what does it say? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal, what? Glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to be to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that brings us into verse uh, 18 of chapter eight. Today, as Paul continues this, comparison of suffering with glory notice this know what paul says for i consider let's stop right there i know you worry when i do that because we're three words into the sermon we're stopping but no this is important because paul says i consider this is not a passing thought or a quick just a, a flash in the pan idea paul has considered that word consider means to give great thought to reason it out to think it through so I have pondered this and pondered this, Paul says. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let us ponder that ourselves, what Paul just said. The sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing to the glory. That is to be revealed to us. Suffering and glory. Two terms, all right? Suffering and glory. These two terms represent the contrast of the eons of the ages. This is this is huge. Two, two, two terms. They represent the present and the future. The already and the not yet. That's what Paul's talking about here. Do we see that? Suffering represents the now, the present of our life. Glory represents the future, the life to come. These terms are inseparable, but they're not comparable. They're inseparable. We see that. They're going to happen. The Christians are going to suffer, but the Christians are also going to have glory. It's just going to happen. But Paul says they're incomparable. They're, they don't compare. They're not two comparable things like a tangerine and an orange. They're not, even, they're not close at all, Paul's saying. One is light, flimsy, and temporal. The other is weighty and heavy. The word glory, the definition of the Greek for glory is weighty, heavy, massive. So notice what, what, what Paul's saying here. He said it again in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Notice this. So we do not lose heart. Again, talking to us, believers who do suffer. We do have brokenness in our lives. We do have pain. But we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison Paul's adamant about this suffering is linked and it it, it is connected to glory it is we're going to suffer and we're going to have the glory those things are inseparable but they're not comparable in law because man this suffering these moments of what we're going through right now they're light they're temporal I know let me explain it's all perspective you say what do you mean what are you talking about Willis light light you don't know what i'm going through you call this light my father has cancer you call that light in perspective paul's saying yes it's real now and hurts now and sometimes we can't even see past it but in perspective to what's to come paul's trying to encourage us it's light it's temporal. It's temporary. It will pass. The glory that is to come, that is prepared for us, that God has reserved for us in heaven, undefiled. It fadeth not away. It's forever. It's weighty. It's worth way more than anything that we've had to go through on this earth, in the now. Look, it, look, look how big this is. This doesn't just affect us. It's, it's showing us that Nature is waiting to see this. All of the cosmos is waiting to see this glory that will be revealed to the people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ by faith and daily suffer faithfully, looking toward him keeping his promise to bring glory that we can't even imagine. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing literally eagerly waits with eager expectation. As though the whole universe, nature itself, standing on tiptoe, looking, cringing its neck, just waiting for it, to catch a glimpse of this glory that will be revealed by its creator. Look at, it, look at, look, look at this. The creation... Wait with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You see that? That's, what they're, that's where the glory of God will be revealed, and that's what creations waiting to see. It's looking to those of us who've been redeemed by the grace of God, who are suffering right now. The creation's waiting to watch God's glory revealed in us! <laughs> wow! For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom, what kind of freedom, what kind of liberation? The freedom of the glory of the children of God. Again, it's all focused at this point on the redeemed of God, God's people, God's children. And all of creation is waiting to see the glory of God revealed in us and everything up till then because of sin it says because the whole world was cursed by the sin of Adam the whole world was cursed into frutility what is that it's vanity it's the same word that the Septuagint or that the, uh, yeah, the Septuagint uh, uses in Solomon to translate vanity of vanities all is vanity it's useless it's futile so everything that we do in this world this is so funny when you think about it folks we put so much stock in doing things that bring ourselves quote glory in this world man's achievements and all of the sweat and toil that we put into projects and things in this world and we sit back and think look at that look at my academy awards on the shelf look at all my engineering awards look at all of this and i mean we can we 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 all and and it's, it's it's great right we can encourage each other hey great job way to go good But it's funny that the whole universe looks at that and says, that ain't nothing. When's the glory coming? When is something of significance coming? All of this is vanity. All of this is futile. It's useless. It's empty. None of this is the real glory of our creator that will be revealed in those whom he's redeemed. That's what we're longing for. That's what the stars of heaven long to see in the earth and the oceans and the mountains. They long to see the glory of God revealed in his people. And here's the interesting thing about that then. (laughs) Think about this, the implications here, the cosmos, the planets, everything God made. And we're amazed at this, by the way. The more we learn of this universe, the expanse of it, Galaxies innumerable. None of them, none of the cosmos will realize its full potential until God's glory has been revealed in us. That's interesting. This is a deep thought. That's why Paul was considering this. (laughs) Ponder. I pondered. I consider this. This This is weighty. All of God's creation can never realize its full potential until we, the crown of his creation, human beings made in his image, has experienced his glory revealed in us. Charles Cranfield put it like this. This is interesting. The whole... Magnificent theater of the universe is cheated of its true purpose so long as man, the chief actor in the great drama of God's praise, fails to contribute his part. And what that means is he's recognizing that man cannot contribute our part until we are glorified. It's impossible for fallen man to contribute his part in the universe until he has realize the full glory of God being revealed in him this is this is now again I'm I, I'm gonna go crazy here because that's what I do sometimes so I see this stuff and my imagination goes and I think wow God has created us to bring him glory that's our purpose as human beings everything brings him glory but man his chief end is what Westminster Shorter Catechism what is the chief end of man Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's all based on Ecclesiastes when, when Solomon, the wisest man in the world, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, gives us the, the end of all man. What is the purpose of man? Why do we exist? Ecclesiastes 12:13: the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So our whole duty is beings made in God's image is to keep his commands which glorifies him and then that brings us great joy therefore the catechism surmises all that together well our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever that's heaven that is eternity that's our purpose folks that does not mean that our purpose that we've been created for (laughs) and saved and redeemed for that Christ shed his blood for to redeem us is to sit around and float on a nice puffy white cloud and strum a harp for, e- for eternity. Bling 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 bling. That what? That's not it. Eternal bumper bumper cards on uh, like bumper clouds rather. Bung we're bumping at each other as we strum our hearts. See bling bling. That's it. Now folks, this is this is a, a glory that God will reveal in us when we are perfect. We, we don't understand it, folks. We don't understand this glory, this magnificence, what our bodies will be like, what our capabilities will be to bring God glory. He made us to be capable of bringing him great glory. We're incapable now, the creation says so. You're incapable, you're, you, you're vain, it's, it's empty, it's useless. But we're waiting to see when God reveals his glory in you. And then you will take full advantage of us, the cosmos, bringing God glory. So that opens my mind again. Star Trek has nothing on eternity. And what our purposes will be to be productive, creative, bringing God glory in a way throughout this universe, traveling the experiences, exploring whatever we do, but it will all be to bring him great glory in ways we can't imagine, so much so the universe will sigh in relief and say, finally, we're doing what we were created to do because God's people are now capable in His glory, of using this whole universe in ways that only bring God glory. Now, theology—we're just theology for all that. I, uh, uh, this is it. That's all I got. <laughs> Here's the point. I think we see it. Let's continue with verses 22 and 25, Romans 8: 22 and 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. So all of creation groans and waits to see this consummation of God's grace in his people worked out when we're finally glorified. And not only creation, but we as God's people should long for this too. We should be longing for that day. We ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit. What is that? The first fruit of the Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit in us who is the down payment, the guarantee that we will be in glory and that we will be glorified. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day that we are redeemed by God. That means made glorified. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly For adoption as sons, or literally, we groan inwardly as adopted sons for the redemption of our bodies. God has adopted us. We're adopted now, but we will fully recognize and experience all of the benefits of adoption when we are glorified. We're saved now, yes. But we will experience all of our salvation when we are fully glorified. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what glorification is about. He says this. For in this hope we were saved. Paul is saying that this is the most natural thing for a Christian to do because that's why we were saved. In this hope of the future, the fact that Christ rose again, therefore we will rise again, that God has an eternity, a kingdom for us to praise him forever in. Paul says that's the natural hope that every Christian has. That's why we were saved, because we believed God's promises. And we rest on that covenant that he's made to us. And we look forward to the fulfillment of it. And then he goes on to say this. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. So obviously, that's why we're hoping. We're expecting it. It's, if, if, if it were here, we wouldn't have to expect it. It's happening. That's what he says. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, this is what we're doing he's saying we're in that spot right now where we're hoping and looking forward to that which we know is coming but we don't see it yet we wait for it with patience Mm, steadfast steadfast faithfully again all of that's by the grace of god in us but we are faithfully waiting for that which we haven't seen yet but we know is coming that is by god's grace that's by the gift of the spirit but yet we steadfastly wait therefore as we're waiting we're suffering but we're suffering with hope we know this is not it this is the temporary the permanent is coming why can I hope in that it's because God's name is on the line the whole universe is waiting for God to complete what he started the whole cosmos is on tiptoes watching and waiting for the God of the universe to keep his word and he doesn't fail folks that's why we hope as we suffer I mean, the idea is this, that we have the Holy Spirit of promise within us, the first down payment, the first fruits, think about that, the first fruits of the harvest. It's almost like, here's the taste, here's, here's the first fruit, here's the taste of what is to come. That's what the Holy Spirit is for us in this life. We are tasting. Every time we come together in church and we gather together with the saints and God's angels are watching in, and the Holy Spirit of God is here, and his word is proclaimed, we are getting a taste of eternity. It's the assurance of our home, but we're not there yet. The Holy Spirit is the assurance of our home, but we are not there yet. So we patiently suffer with hope. John Stott puts it like this. Caught in the tension between what God has inaugurated by giving us his spirit and what he will consummate in our final adoption and redemption, we groan with discomfort and longing. The indwelling spirit gives us joy and the coming glory gives us hope, but the interim suspense gives us pain. And that's where we are. And they're all operating and they're all, they're all true. And yet, continue to hope, right? This is what we do. We continue to hope for what we don't see. And we, we continue to hope that one day we will be made completely new. Christ's glory revealed in our new bodies. Now, yes, his glory is revealed in salvation right now. You see people, man, you watch people in this world and you watch their, their sin and their brokenness, their immorality, their rebelliousness, their hatred of God. And then, then you watch all of a sudden as they somehow by God's grace Bend the knee to Christ. They repent. They fall in love with Jesus. They're transformed by the power of the gospel. And the things they used to hate, they now love. And all their friends are scratching their heads and saying, what in the world? And you know what? Yes, God is glorified in that. Yes, there is glory. But we are waiting for the complete glory, right, of being made totally new in our Brand new bodies, which we can't even fathom. I just want to read Philippians 3:20 20 and 21. This is important. Get this, folks. This is you want help this week, suffering through everything you're going through. This is it. The word of God. Look at Paul tells Christians. But our citizenship is in heaven. So that's one thing to remember. The world's gone nuts. I tell you, man, it's 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 probably the best to just throw our phones in the lake. I mean because if we can't keep off of social media, and we can't keep off of, of reels and, and TikTok and whatever else that, that, that keeps playing, and we see all this stuff, weird grossness, mockery of God, hatred, it's all in there, right? So man, we're better off to say, wait a minute. And here's the answer to that, though, folks. I mean, it's easy for us to get sucked into that and think, oh, that's who we are. That's just, that's our world. That's, I'm a citizen of that world, so therefore I must adopt to its ideologies and accept this as just being normal. No! The Christian does not do that. We, we're in the world. We see what's going on. We even will fight against the abuses of God's laws and, and God's glory. But our citizenship is in heaven. There's our hope. There's our encouragement. This is not your home. Your citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. This is the sovereign God who is sovereign over the world. And what does he promise? He will make our bodies glorious like his body. Pew. This is, this is our hope. This is what we trust. This is what we rest in. Can't fathom it. They're getting my imagination. I won't take time to do it. I know it's getting kind of close here. But everything Jesus did, we just saw glimpses of Christ's glory when he rose again after his resurrection here, and there were things happening that just are inexplicable, inexplainable, inexplicably explainable. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just saying it was crazy. You've got glimpses, I believe, of teleportation. You've got glimpses of him appearing in rooms. that The doors were locked, and there was no, how did he get in there? You've either got that, or you've got the ability to pass through matter. Whatever it is, that body was not like our bodies, right? But our bodies one day will be like that body. Do you see the promise here? This is our hope. We can't even imagine then what those bodies can do. So get this. Almost there. It's not just that we're going to have those bodies in this old world, this old broken world. No, we're going to have those super bodies in a super new world that we've not even begin to experience yet or can't even fathom. <sighs> Hello? <laughs> I mean, man, this is amazing. This is what we sing about. This is what we look for. This is what we long for. And this is what gets you through sitting at the grave of that baby. When you're like, what in the world, God? This is what gets you through the loss of that job. This is what gets you through the rejection of every friend you've ever known. This is the hope. That gets you through. What is that hope? I'm not of this world. I'm a citizen of heaven and my Savior is coming back. He's going to glorify my body and He's going to re- remake this universe and I will reflect the glory of the only begotten Son of God and I will bring great glory to the creator of this universe and fulfill my purpose for all eternity. That's our hope. I want to read Revelation 21 We saw it already in our worship, but let's just think on these things. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. It is a new world. The old is past, and that's so important, folks, because that's where our suffering was. The present world now, our suffering, Carol, our pain. I mean, the physical pain that we, we, we want to go out of our mind. That's past. We're brand new, brand new bodies, brand new world. What is this world like? Look, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There's our hope. There's why we, as God's people, suffer with hope. Father God in heaven, we need your grace to understand these things. We need your spirit to give us the supernatural faith that it takes to look toward these things. And we need the grace of your spirit to give us the supernatural vision to actually see these things afar off. That's what your spirit does. So that's why we beg your spirit to build our faith through the preaching of your word that we may suffer with hope and glorify you. We pray all these things in Christ's name.